Oh, I'm looking. Do I dump it? Do I throw the drift? Nothing. Three, two, one. Let's go. Work, 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 work. Welcome back to the Dig Deep Podcast. I'm super excited to bring my guy Rayshon Simmons on today. Uh, Ray is playing his fourth year professionally. He's now in Belgium. He's bounced around. He was in the Czech Republic. He was in Hungary. He was in Germany. He did uh, played the summer league in Australia as well. Um, he's a native of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, went to Webster Groves High School. Graduated in 2012. He went on then to play junior college after that. Then he went on to play at Central Michigan in the MAC. But uh, Ray Sean was one of the first players to give me a chance. Um, the next episode is going to be actually the first player that gave me a chance uh, professionally. But uh, I started working with Ray. I guess that was his, maybe going into his senior year at Central Michigan. And then fast forward four years later, now he's playing professionally. So, Ray, I appreciate you coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Ray's got an interesting journey. He uh, played at a pristine, the people outside of St. Louis area don't really know, but Webster Groves is a absolute powerhouse high school program in St. Louis. Um, then he went junior college route. Then he went to Central Michigan. Um, and then he ended up obviously here playing his fourth year professionally. Uh, I just want you to kind of like talk about your journey. Uh, we kind of talked about a little bit off air regards to um, your recruiting, kind of what happened because he, he played for the St. Louis Eagles, which is now uh, Brad Bill Elite, so a super powerhouse AAU program. Uh, because if you see Ray play now and then if you saw Ray play at Central Michigan, uh, you did not think he went JUCO first. Uh, and I was no shame to JUCO because I was a JUCO kid too, but you would think that he either went the straight to Central Michigan out or maybe he played at a Power 5 and then transferred out to uh, what I consider a, a mid-major program. So you could just kind of talk about your journey, kind of ups and downs, all the way back to when you were in high school. Yeah, so uh, I started out at Webster Groves, but actually it was funny because I almost went to Kirkwood. Okay. I almost went to Kirkwood. I grew up in Meacham, well, I grew up in the city, north side of St. Louis, right around the corner from uh, Ferg uh, Fairground. Hmm. And... Then we moved. My, my my parents didn't want me to go to a public school, a, a PHL school. You know, they didn't want me in that district. So, you know, we get a house on Section 8 in Kirkwood and Meacham Park in the hood. It's still the hood. You just got people from north side, south side, east side, west side, all in one area. So, you know, it's, you know, I remember police got killed out there. It was, it was, I mean, it was just like a lot of stuff going on. You know, I grew up seeing a lot of stuff out there, but. Uh, to get back to the basketball topic, so I'm out there playing. I remember I was, what, in sixth grade. Well, first off, I was in the fourth grade playing with the seventh and eighth graders out there, you know. Uh -huh. And my nickname out there was either Stop and Pop or Shooter. And I was, you know, I was just a kid always walking around the neighborhood dribbling the basketball at the park playing basketball. The other kids, you know, they just always wanted me to play with them no matter how old they were. And then I, uh, I, I go to school in Kirkwood all the way up until eighth grade. Eighth grade, so I transferred to Webster eighth grade because my mom, we, we actually lost our Section 8 because somebody robbed a piece of lady, Emos. <laughs> so we lose the Section 8. We can't afford that four-bedroom house that we was getting on Section 8, you know, because we no longer have Section 8. So, you know, so we move, move to Webster. We move in with my grandmother. Uh, my mom and the other kids, they move in with their dad's mother. So we're – but it's right down the street from each other in Webster Groves, you know, so – I then I, I was supposed to go back to Kirkwood. Everybody thought I was going back to Kirkwood or I was going to CBC because my brother Rayon Simmons was, you know, he had the state rushing record. He was a he was a in a potential NFL running back, like what he did in college and stuff. So I was supposed to go back to either uh Kirkwood or go to CBC or I almost end up going to SLU. I remember taking visits to SLU and talking to the to the people up there and everything because of Stefan Sansone. I'm really close with the Sansones as well. Like they run the construction in the area of St. Louis and stuff, they're rich. But I end up choosing Webster. I go to a workout with Blossom. Blossom was like, no way this kid is, you know, he's not leaving here. <laughs> you know, this is a hometown kid. He's from the neighborhood. His family all went to this school. Blossom was just like, no. So, you know, I end up staying there playing varsity my freshman year. Which I think the only person to do that, you know, you had Justin Taylor, you had Drew Hanlon, like before, uh, Lonzo Rickerson, you know, there was it was some pretty elite names around the St. Louis area that did that at that school, you know, like you said earlier, it was a powerhouse. So I go there for, I go there all four years of high school, you know, play well, uh, blossom. I think the thing that makes me feel 
to make that makes me feel the best about Webster playing at Webster. I mean, I remember my sophomore year, we were we started off 21, 22, and no, we were number 19 in the country. Ended up getting upset by CBC. Couldn't we had no big man. We were a press full court team, but uh big boy, um, I forgot his name at CBC, ended up going to Northeastern and then finishing up at Vermont. But yeah, uh we ended up losing to them in the game to go to state. You know, we're the team to pick the win to win state, you know. I honestly wish we would have played Brad and them, but they got upset versus CBC, Bradley Bill. But they got upset versus CBC, but I think we would have beat them. They, you know, they didn't have a big – that was our kryptonite, a big man. And uh, my senior year, like I was saying, the thing that made me most proud was what, you know, Blossom and my teammates, they still thank me today because I could have came in there and shot the ball 25 times a game and not care what we did and just worried about my scholarship, which kind of goes into my recruiting in that, in that aspect as well because – I didn't. I didn't choose to be that guy. You know, like you know, most kids. You know, to be selfish. All right, my teammates. I I figured out a way to make my teammates better. And Blossom always challenged me to be a leader. And I don't think if it wasn't for that year, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. You know, if I if I never would have played for Blossom, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at now. I mean, but also Corey Fraser was working me out and training me since like sixth grade. Him and Spencer Taylor. You know, they took a lot of time out their day. And you know, I'm not even gonna get into the little league. I have people like Jimmy Farrar. Booby, like, you know, I had some guys around the St. Louis area that people might know that, you know, that PJ, you know, they, they spent a lot of time, you know, picking me up, taking me to practice. And, you know, I have a lot of people that contributed. But, well, there's one funny story. I remember in the sixth grade, I used to catch the bus from Webster to Kirkwood to ride with my cousin because he didn't have time to take pick me up from work to take me to practice growing up. So I was walking and catching the bus, and then he would drop me off that night. Like, I don't know, it's just it's just a lot of different stuff, you know, from the early ages. But back to my high school career, um, so then my senior year, you know, I'm playing more as a leader. And, you know, I'm making the guys around. I still average, I think, 18 to 20 points and eight assists. I could have easily averaged 25, you know, if I just shot the ball five more times that, you know, a game. And I could have, but it would have taken away from my team. And what I was saying about – I don't think I would be the player I am today or the leader I am today if I wouldn't have done that because I wouldn't have learned how to be in that situation. So now when I get around maybe a European team where there's three Americans and maybe these other guys aren't as good, but you need them, now I know how to lead those guys and make those guys, you know, better players. So I think that helped me tremendously. Um, through the high school career for AAU, I was playing with Bradley Bill Elite, which used to be formerly known as the St. Louis Eagles. And I played there my 15 year. Funny story, for some reason, I was like one of the second to third last picks, honestly, mm-hmm. on the team. I remember that. I was one of the second and third last picks because my freshman year, we were coming off a state championship. We had a couple guys returning. I didn't play that much on that varsity team. You know, I probably played eight to ten minutes a game, but I didn't I didn't play that much. So, you know, though we had other guys around the area that were playing, you know, varsity. Those were the guys that you would hear their names more. And so when they saw me, they, they knew who I was, but they were just like, you know, they were hearing these other names. Yeah, you know, it was more of an afterthought because they knew who I was, but, you know, it was like we haven't really got a chance to see this kid play until I got there. And then they see me, they're like, oh. So they already had whoever they had, you know. So I was sort of the third to last pick, but not really. You know you know how AAU teams work. You know you know when you're coming in, you got five or six guys you know you're taking. You got one or two guys that could, you know, change. But you got that solid six you know you're taking. And so my 15th year, we go to Milwaukee, we win Milwaukee. My 16th year, that was when Corey Fraser was coaching. That was honestly probably my best year. I was getting recruited. I had I was getting mail from Iowa, Virginia Tech, Florida State. I was just, I you know, all the mid-majors, all the Missouri Valley mid-majors, I was just getting everything. Then I'm playing well my 16th year. We go 32-0, and like I said, in my high school team, you know. Not 32-0, 22-0 to start the season. And we're number 19 in the country, best team in the state. We go on the road. We beat the number one team out of Alabama. You know, we beat some national ranked teams that year. And so I'm I'm really buzzing. Like, you know, for me, I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm going high major. You know, no questions asked. It's coming my 17th year. The Eagles don't take Fraser back as a coach. They, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened there, but Fraser's not coaching. That was my guy, you know. Like I said, he trained me when I was little, you know. So it was easy. It was an easy transition for me to play with him. His style of play. 
So then that next year we get Dale Turner, Irwin Claggett. You know, I'm I'm the I'm the premier point guard. I was the guy coming in that year. You know, it's my team. It's my show. I have a good early tournaments. We go to second year EYBL. This is the second year EYBL. Um, I play good in Boo Williams. I get a write up in Boo Williams. They write up. You know, they do a write up on me in Boo Williams. Like one of the top performers this weekend. I get to Dallas and honestly. I play terrible, you know, and that's the probably the nicest way I can say it. Mm-hmm. I didn't play very well in Dallas. I I hurt myself in Dallas, honestly. But after that, the coaches kind of gave up on me, you know. Mm-hmm. I, they start playing, um, you know, Claggett, you know, he had two peps, Chantel Stencil at his high school. He start playing, like, we start splitting minutes, and then with some games he'll be playing more. And then it was just like, you know, they just basically was like, you know, they just – they left me alone, you know. I wasn't one of their guys, it's, you know. That's how I always looked at it. But I appreciate, you know, it was a learning experience. I love Claggett, you know. I still love Irving Claggett. I still love Dale Turner, you know. They, those guys helped me in ways, too. Those guys made me a better player. It was just, you know, I'm not going to say they played Pep because they were his player, you know. They they just went, you know, as a coach, you got to make a decision. You know, they were more familiar with him, so they probably trusted him more, so it was easier to be like, yo, let's play him in this situation over him. We don't really know this guy. This guy from here, we are North County, and, you know, I'm I'm from West – that wasn't West County, but Webster, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the North County – you know, you know, if you're from the St. Louis area, you know if the North County guys think they're all NBA players, they're better than everyone else from mm-hmm. everyone else. And then you got the PHL, which thinks, you know, there's this, you know. So, there, you know, those those MCC schools and stuff don't get the respect. Like, you know, when you look at B.J. Young, it was – B.J. Young's better than Bradley Bill mm-hmm. because Bradley Bill was at Chaminade and B.J. Young had the whole North County behind him, mm-hmm. which is, a you know, very strong and supportive community. So, you know, that happened my 17th year, but I, I had – but even my 17th year, I was getting recruited. It was a lot of schools, you know. And then when Tupep started playing more, they didn't necessarily stop playing me – over two pep, like I was still playing, but then I would play minutes at the two. You know, they would play pep at the one. I would play minutes at the two. So then it started to raise questions is, is he a two or is he a one? Mm-hmm. And that's where my recruiting, you know, it really kind of hindered me. Now, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out too. It's like as you go through that journey of yeah. like being uh, as a young one in the youth, Everybody else can probably realize it. I can too, but it's like everybody goes to that youth, yeah. then you go through middle school, then you go through high school. Is Think how many names you've dropped between then and then. Because there's this misconception with young players too, high school players, even like, oh, I'm going to do it by myself. No, you're not. You, can't, you cannot accomplish what you want to accomplish without, without other people helping you, giving you rides, coaching you, telling you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, that type of stuff. I just think that – um, and that's everywhere. That's not yeah. just basketball thing. That's a that's a life thing, right? Like you want yeah. your boss to tell you if you're um, doing a good job, if you're not doing a good job. So you went through the Eagles thing and the recruitment deal, and then you ended up signing at Moberly. Yeah. And for those people outside of the Missouri area, Moberly is a powerhouse junior college. Uh, yeah. So um, and that whole region is tough. It's not like they're a powerhouse and nobody else. Like. In that region, I don't know what region is that. I forget. Region 16. Region 16. If you don't have four to five guys that are going power five, if not mid-major, you can't compete. Like, you've got to have three, four, or five dudes that can flat out flat out play. Um, so you went to Moberly one year, yeah. and then you went and played three at Central Michigan. So could you talk a little bit about, like, the transition from high school to JUCO? Kind of like how you – maybe the practices were different, the style was different the academics, yeah, 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 um, yeah. and then ta- and then on tail end of that, how it was different between junior college and then playing in the MAC, which me and you know, but the MAC is just a bunch of kids that didn't get recruited by the athletic, the A-10, yeah. the Big Ten, and, you know, mixed in with some Ohio Valley kids too. So you just talk about, like, the transition from high school to JUCO and then JUCO to Central Michigan. Yeah, yeah. so the transition to high school to college, I mean to, to Moberly, it was actually pretty easy for me because if you know Jay Blossom, <laughs> yeah, if you know Jay Blossom at Webster Groves, he's not one of those coaches that's going to sit back. He's going to demand the most out of you as a person and as a player daily. You know, there's no practices off with him. There's, you know, it's it's a war. You know, there's, there's no, for instance, 
we go in gyms for our preseason for for games and stuff, and we play skins. We have no we have no we have no scrimmage jerseys or nothing. We that's that's our first intimidation factor. We're skins, mm-hmm. you know. No matter how big skinny you are, we're skins, and there's no out of bounds in this practice. First time I've ever, you know, practiced like there's no out of bounds. You got kids running into walls, running into bleachers. There is literally running into other players on the sideline. There is no out of bounds. At no point is he stopping it for an out of bounds. It's like if you purposely run out of bounds and do something dumb, he'll yell. Or if you turn it over, turn over. But like on a rebound, the ball get tipped out of bounds. Ain't no out of bounds. So then I go, you know, it, that was that was a great, you know, without Jay Blossom, I wouldn't be here today. Without Pat Smith, I would not be here today. And I know that for a fact. Pat Smith was my coach at uh, Moberly. I ended up at Moberly. I almost went to John A. Logan, and I almost went to Swick. You know, those are actually my top two. I almost went to both of those schools. And I ended up at Moberly with the coach. The coach called me like, yo, we want you. It was funny because they had a D1 transfer coming in. The conference, you know, when I was there, Region 16, we had five point guards that all went high major. I mean, we had four point guards that went Division one, five, five total point guards went Division one, three of them high major. It was a pretty high level, you know. So the coach was, he was intense. He was there at Mobley before. Then he went to Trinity Valley, which is another great school in Texas, uh, junior college. He was winning down there, came back home because he, he won at uh, – Mobley, when they had their best teams, made the run in the hutch and everything. So that was his homecoming year, my first year there. That transition wasn't really too hard because the way Jay Blossom coached, he was just, I didn't think it got more intense, I'm going to say intense, than Jay Blossom. But Pat Smith showed me (laughs) it's another level, you know. He's probably calmed down now. Pat Smith, I love him. You know, I love him. I love Jay Blossom. You know, those guys are great coaches. But they're not for everybody. Mm-hmm. So when you think of when you think of Bobby Knight, I want you to think of Pat Smith. Mm-hmm. He's up in your face. Yo, this is what you're doing. I remember um, we would practice for for four hours sometimes. I remember practicing for four hours. So uh, I remember my first day there. It was we're gonna run a mile, a time mile, and they'll go up to a. Uh, um, a two a two mile time three mile time we got all the way up there but after the miles he would put 15 minutes on the clock we would go in the gym right after the miles 15 minutes on the clock and we were scrimmage five on five and the moment somebody didn't cross half court when the bucket was scored that was reset that 15 minutes would be reset there was times we had to reset it you know so just imagine you just ran a mile or two miles or three miles time and he would get in his blue pickup truck and that's how we would run through the city he would put his meter, he would reset his time, his distance on his truck, and we would run behind his truck through the city of Moberly. And after we were done, we'll be in there, we'll be in there uh, playing basketball. And then we'll have practices where we wake up at five in the morning and just be doing Indian run on the track for an hour. He would literally put an hour on the clock and we'd do an Indian run on, on the track in the top of Moberly. If you've ever been to Moberly Gym, you'll see a track and a gym. We'll be running there, you know. And his favorite thing was the heavy rope, tight rope, I mean, heavy rope, jump rope. The transition was more of like a mental challenge thing because in high school you can't make kids do that. You know, junior you can't make kids do this type of stuff in Division One. It's the junior college where there's no rules. You got kids in there for four hours. There's no hours on practice. There's no you know there's no on. Oh, you can't do that. JUCO, yo, it's your last chance. You're back against the wall. What you gonna do? That's why it's not for everybody. You know, you have to be a different type of kid, a different type of player, mentally, physically. You just have to you you have to be really hungry to play junior college basketball or else you will not make it. Mm-hmm. That transition was more of a mental transition because not only were you yelling at me, but you were challenging me physically like I've never been challenged before. You know, you would play mind games, like you know, you would do little stuff which I dealt with in high school with Jay. It 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 wasn't, you know, it it wasn't like Jay was, you know, Coach Blossom would make us run, do heavy rope, six sets for a minute, you know, with a 10-pound heavy rope jump rope, you know, thumbs bleeding, the middle between your pointing finger and your thumb bleeding, you know. We weren't doing that in high school. You couldn't do that. Or, yo, all right, we had we had a game where we have a we have a game. After that game, we get out rebounded. So the coach Watches he watches the film. He brings us all in to watch the film. And every time somebody's not on the inside of someone when the shot goes up, we ran for it. 
So just imagine how many times you like as a as a basketball player. Just think about all the times all five guys aren't on the inside of their player when a shot goes up or when a rebound is happening. So we literally ran, and when I say ran, I mean UNLVs, which is five down and backs and the suicide. So when I say five down and back, so touch one line, one back, two, and then so on. You got five touches and the suicide in a minute five. So, you know, we ran, let's say, about 20 of those that day. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that transition, it was tough, you know. like. But the thing that kept me going was I knew I had no choice. And even there, I had a bunch of schools. I think the funny part is a lot of people don't know, I might be one of the only junior college players that was recruited by Ivy League school. I had Cornell coming in there trying to sign me. I had Washington State, Cornell, Middle Tennessee State, Evansville, and Central Michigan. Those were like my top there, you know. I end up, the Washington State ordeal, they was bringing, I think, Brandon Jennings' little brother out of Oak Hill. I'm just like, I'm not playing this political game. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing that. David, uh, Devontae Lacey was there. I think he was graduating. They had some guys. But Middle Tennessee State was probably the school that was next up out of Central Michigan that I would have went to, which is funny because they made that big run in the tournament by junior senior year of college. And to think I might have, I would have been on that team, you know. Academically, the transition, you know, it was more of like a step down for me. You know, I was taking advanced college classes in high school. I was, I was a 3.9 GPA student. So going to a junior college, it wasn't as challenging. But I think going to the junior college before Central Michigan, that transition academically, it helped me because it, it showed me how I needed to study. You know, it prepared me for college. So I think – and it also prepared me for the physicality, you know, for the basketball. I think me going junior college is a huge reason why I am here today. Out of high school, I could have went low major like a SIUE, but I'm just like, no. You know, like that – back against the wall, you know, it's late – they're trying to fill the roster. They want to sign a home, you know, somebody close. I'm just like, nah, you know, that's that's not, you know, I don't want to do that. When I get to Central Michigan, I get there with a a coach that's about rest, and uh-huh. we practice for an hour a day, maybe hour fifteen, you know, shooting, you know, well we're not gonna go very long. Uh, shoot around is literally a shoot around, but for two years, I mean, for my other two programs, my shoot around was like another practice. It was just instead of practicing for an hour and a half, it was 45 minutes of a practice, which I got there to uh, Central Michigan with Keno Davis, and I don't think without him I would be here today because that transition, it, it was teaching me more of the pro style, you know? Not, you know, in professional basketball, like, it's not boom, 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 grind, grind, grind. It's not that as much anymore. It's a grind, but... It's more like skill, slow, not slow, but it's more like skill stuff, you know, instead of like, yo, we finna practice for four hours, it's defense and stuff until everybody does it right. Mm-hmm. It was, yo, we gonna do this, we gonna get out, you know, like, as so it taught me like, yo, you don't, you don't have to be in the gym for four hours to get your work done. You can get, you can get the same amount of work done in an hour, you know, you don't. You don't, longer doesn't always mean better. Not saying, you know, when we were doing that in high school, and was, high school it was like right in the middle of both. Mobley was a grind. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a grind, you know. There's so many stories I could, I could go on and on about there and practices and stuff that might have happened at a practice or in a game. Like, mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it, was, it was good, though. So it was a good combination of coaches, I think. Each coach prepared me to get to where I am now. No, I think uh, it's just a good insight because I I could tell you stories about JUCO too. I mean, I'm you can look it up if you want. If you want to go rat on my coach, that's fine. He probably wouldn't care. I remember being in uh, my freshman year of JUCO. We were like tops. I think we we're number seven in the country. We were like six and zero in conference. And my head coach was known for bowling. <laughs> okay, but he played at University of Illinois. Yeah, in the Hall of Fame there, assist record. But he always used to tell me he's like, if I would have discovered bowling after basketball, I would have never hooped. And I was like, it's a bold statement. Yeah. So you know, and in JUCO, I was the only white guy on roster. So and we had a, we had a black head coach. Well, in JUCO, it's a little bit different. Your coach is your coach, but you also can talk trash back and forth. Like 
to like yeah. a black coach, a black roster, it's a little bit different vibe. Like it's very like, I mean, a lot of these kids are away from home. Like, so we were on the bus getting ready to go. And we would leave, I think, at like 3.30. It was like 4.15. Coach wasn't on the bus. Nobody besides – everybody was there besides Coach. Like, man, where's he at? Coach gets on the bus. He's got like a, a black leather jacket on. Smaller guy. He's from the 80s, you know, slick guy. He gets on the bus, starts counting the players, like counting them to see y'all's here. Like, man, you know we've been here. Like, you don't need to count. Co- assistant coach has already counted everybody. And our uh, one of our wings was like, Coach, you know, where you been at? Where you been at? And he was like, uh, don't worry about it. Come on, start the bus. He's like, no. You know, he said it some explicit, like, you know, where where you been at? Yeah. Coach turned around. He said, man, didn't I tell you to explicit? Not to mess with me on the lanes. Talk about bowling. Pull out a wad of cash. Gave everybody something. Damn. And at that point, everybody was like, that's our guy. Now, it wasn't a big amount of money, right? But it was, that was our guy now. Yeah. Like, it was just like a Juco thing, right? It was just super crazy. But, uh, uh yeah, to just touch on a quick story from the JUCO is I think the thing that my first day on campus, you know, when your team meet, so we meet with coach, like just to piggyback off a little story. So this you you got all these kids transferring, you know, these kids just running from anything. As soon as it get hard, somebody's like, yo, it's time to go. Like, you know, what are you going to do? Is, is this how you're going to run? Is this what you're going to do all your life? Job get hard, you're going to run? So we get here. It's the first meeting. So we all mean to say it's 15 of us. <laughs> it's 15 of us in here. Coach say, first thing he say, look around. We all look around. He say, all right, some of these people in here, you won't see at the end of the year. <laughs> so he's 15. Hey, I kid you not, we finished with eight. <laughs> kids, hey, kids kicked off of grades. Something. something, you know, it was something. And out of all these eight kids, though, I think six of us went Division One, two of them went Division Two and won national championships at UCL. But it was it was just funny because that was the first thing he said to us: "Look around, all of you won't be here." Right. And I'm, you know, like you coming from a high school, and you just like, wait, what? Like, where they going? You know right. what? Because right. <laughs> in high school, they gonna baby your grades not bad. All right, we gonna stay after school. We gonna help you. We gonna help you, but we only helping you so long. You know, we're not we're not gonna be here. Day after day, it's either you're going to do it, we're going to help you once, or you're not going to get it. And then, I meant to tell you, too, um, like I was saying earlier, about the question on me being the one or the two. So, that's the main reason I went junior, like junior college, because I could have went to like a low major, or I could have went to a high-level D2, and I'm just like, no, my dream has always been this. Y'all not finna change my dream because of one year, mm-hmm. you know? So, then when I got to junior college, you know, he told me I'm going to play the one, I'm playing the one. I'm third in the country, second in the country in assists at nine and a half a game. Nine or eight and a half of the game. Like, you can look it up. Like, I'm eight and a half assists. And I had to, I proved that I could play the point guard. And then uh, that's what led me into Central Michigan, which the reason I picked Central Michigan, because Cal Gerderman, who's now at Lindenwood, was the guy that recruited me at SEMO when he was there. And then, I don't know, they took another kid. He wanted, they want, Gerderman wanted me, they took another kid. Gerderman ended up out of SEMO, and he ended up at Central Michigan. When he when he offered me, it was funny when I committed to Central Michigan. A lot of people don't know I was at Pedalball spring break. You know, junior college, you know, you done. That's right. the only time I got to go somewhere for spring break because usually in college, you know, yeah. you can't you play. So my freshman year, I experienced this, the regular college student like I'm in Panama City Beach. You know, <laughs> I'm in PCB. Me and like three other cats on the team, we just drove to PCB from Missouri. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we down there. Lit. We wake up one morning. I got missed calls from my high school coach, junior college coach. All the don't nobody really know this part. So this is you know this is something don't nobody know. And I I wake up. We lit. I wake up. They like yeah. What's them just offered you? And then when Cal, I mean when um they offered, I had some other stuff on the table. But when they had offered uh my high school coach, like I said, I had missed call from my high school coach and my junior college coach. Both of them said, Ray, take it. I trust them in with my life. I took it. And no questions asked. They said, Ray, take it. I called her back. I ain't do, I ain't go on a visit. <laughs> I didn't even go on a visit. That's how much I trust uh Pat Smith and Jay Blossom. When they when because they, they did so much for me as a basketball player and as a person, when they said, Yo, Ray, take it, I didn't question them because I knew they wouldn't say, Yo, take it like that 
if it wasn't like a hundred percent, yo, you're all right here. I know, I know at the end of the day, you're going to be all right. And if I had to give any advice to a kid being recruited, go where a coach wants you, not where you want to go. Don't go where you want to go. Go where you have at least one assistant coach you know is going to go in that room when four or five coaches, the GAs, the Dobo, the video coordinator, all in one room and they talking basketball, know that that one coach is going to go to war for you. And I knew at the end of the day, and I knew no matter what, Cal Gerdman, he was going to war for me. He went to war for me at SEMO. He went to war for me at Central Michigan. He went to war. He'll go to war for me right now. I know Pat Smith. He'll go to war for me. I know, I know Corey Frazier. He's going to go to war for me. I know any of my professional coaches over in Europe, they're going to go to war for me. They're going to vouch for me. And I'm going to vouch for them in any situation. It's like a you, you give what you get. You get what you give, I should say. I mean, I gave them my all. Now I got their love, their respect, and I got their word. They they got me. They got me. They got me, you know? So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I've done it before. We've all done it. We've learned from it, right? It's not to burn a bridge, yeah. you know? And uh, even if a situation is not perfect, you got to make the most of it. And at the end of that season, you can each other look each other's eyes and shake your hands. And if someone yes. asks about you, then hopefully, you know, they'll say positive things. And, you know, the greatest thing you can get is respect from your peers. Yeah. And to a degree, your coach is still your peer, still another human being. Um, now let's fast forward a little bit. We talked about a little bit about the professional game at CMU. CMU uh, at Central Michigan, they played up-tempo, man. They shoot a ton of threes, a lot of space, and yeah. now Gurneman's at Lindenwood. I was at his practice uh, a month ago, and that's what they're trying to do there, too. They're trying to really spread it, uh, which in college, at times, you can be driving it from the right slot, and there can be someone standing on the wing and not the corner. You even deal with some of that professionally, but let's talk about a little bit about the professional game and kind of like your daily. Uh, so let's just let's just pick a day here. So let's say, let's say it's game day. Um, um, and let's say your game is at uh, 7.30. So can you kind of take us through the morning, um, the afternoon, kind of everything from the meals to I know a lot of players like to take their afternoon nap, and they maybe you have the same thing you eat every day. Maybe you get a certain amount of shots up, just kind of your daily before a game. Yeah. I like to let my body naturally wake up on game days. I don't want to set an alarm at 8, 9 a.m. I don't want to do a shooter run at 8, 9 a.m. Like, like here – Usually, if I have to, I'll wake up early and shoot around, you know, if the coach makes me or if that's what it is. But I don't, I don't want to do a, a shoot around. I don't, I don't want that. So, that early, I should say. But, so I'll wake up, let my body naturally wake itself up because I want my mind, I just want everything to be natural on game day. So, I'll wake up. Um, first thing I'll do, I'll, I'll eat breakfast. My normal routine, eat breakfast, eat some but usually on game days, I try to make pancakes. Usually it's just two, three eggs and bacon, you know, during the week. But then on game days, I try to throw some pancakes on there, something just a little heavier, you know, just to stick a little bit for later. Um, and as I eat, I watch, I watch some pick and roll edits. Nothing too crazy. I don't want to. I don't want to overthink. I don't want to overthink. I think a lot of people get in trouble overthinking or just over preparing. You can over prepare. I I feel like that. I know some people don't feel like over-preparing is a thing. I do. So I'll watch a little film. I like to be relaxed. So then I'll do some yoga. i do like a 20-minute yoga thing on the Nike app. And then, you know, maybe go to go for a little walk, you know, just to listen to some music. Uh, then I'll chill, you know. Usually I'll probably wake up around 9.30 to 10.30, you know, usually when I wake up. And then after I eat and stuff and do my yoga and maybe go for a little walk down the street and back, it's um around 1, 12, then I'm going to the gym for shoot-around. My, my own shoot-around. Because if you know in Europe, you don't, the gym time is, there is no gym time. Mm-hmm. There's practice time, but there's no, yo, you can go in the gym and shoot. But I got to. I got a manager here that, you know, allows me to get in while they're setting up the gym, which I'm so thankful for. So, you know, I'll go there. I'll do my little shooting drills, you know, from some stuff I, I used to do with Drew Hamlin, you know, with some warm-up drills. And I'll just, you know, hit a few spots. Nothing crazy. It's more like spot shooting. Uh, and then maybe some drifts, some slides. I mean, some drifts and some uh, lifts. But and then if I want to do some dribble stuff, I'll take one or two dribbles. But it's usually mid-range makes, maybe maximum 
10 pull-ups mm-hmm. on the right from the right wing going left going right 10 total on the right wing 10 total on the left some you know spot 10 three makes from five spots uh and then I'll probably do some lifts and some drifts five makes total mm-hmm. two or six makes total three lifts three from five spots uh and then after that you know I'll come home I'll take a shower I'll eat a light lunch, and then I gotta take a nap. I got the thing about the nap. I have to take a nap, even if we're traveling. I have to take a nap before the game because for me it resets my mind, mm-hmm. and I need that reset on game days because everything I've thought about with my shot or at the the morning before or thought about the game all week. I just want to reset. I just want I want to wake up and be thinking about boom. My routine, what I need to take to the gym, shower. I'll even sometimes I'll even do the laundry the day before just so I can fold the clothes. I just want to fold clothes because when I fold clothes, all I'm thinking about is how I'm folding the clothes. It's that's something that helps me just not think about the game. I don't want to think about the game anymore. After shoot around, I don't want to think. I don't want to think about bas. I don't. I think about basketball, but I do not want to think about my game. The most I want to think about is okay. Where am I going to get a shot for this guy? I'm not thinking about myself, though. I'm thinking about, all right, what play is this? All right, where is this? I've thought about myself all week. I've prepared myself all week. Game day, I like to just let myself be naturally, you know, do what I've been working on all week and what I've seen all week. So then, you know, I'll take maybe sometimes if I feel a little drowsy or something after my nap, if I feel real drowsy or I wake up too close to the time I got to leave, I try to take a quick shower, a hot shower, a hot cold shower to wake my body up and make my senses alert again. You know, two minutes cold, two minutes hot, or 30 seconds, 30 seconds, just depending on how much time I got. That's that's for the days, you know, where, you know, some days you just feel a little bit more sluggy. You're not up as much for this game. So, like, I'll do things like that just to get my, my body back going. And then I'll get to the gym um, right before the game. I First one there, I want to make... I want to make my I want to make five from five spot from seven from five spots mid range. Then I want to make two in a row from seven spots three. Two in a row from each spot before I move, just to get that rhythm, just to get that send the ball go through the net, just getting my shot going. And I like to do the two in a row just for the the, the rhythm. You know I don't want to shoot five in a row three because then you start thinking. You know already you shot those mid range just to get the motion. And then when I shoot those threes, I just want to you know I just want to get them up. I want to get them up two in a row, two in a row. So sometimes I'm shooting more than three makes at a spot, more than two makes at a spot. And then I'll I'll shoot before everybody get out there. Everybody get out there. I'm foam rolling. You know, I don't want I don't want nobody else shooting when I'm shooting really. Maybe two or three guys. I don't want a bunch of balls flying, a bunch of guys on the court. I want to beat you on the court. And then I want to watch you shoot. I want to see where you at. I want to take a look on the other end of warm-ups. I want to see how they're, you know, how they're reacting, what they're doing, what their mind is, what his shot looks like. You know, because if you watch a warm-up, a guy gonna tell you what he wanna do before the game. He gonna show you his key moves. He gonna show you the move he been wanting to work on all week that he wanna hit. And that's what people don't realize. You you look at one, you tell what shots a guy gonna take at the game. You know, you if a guy playing with the ball do a step back, you know, late in the clock, he gonna try to hit you with that move that he been doing because that's naturally his fun move. That's his go to. So you know guys, you know, guys will give up the information for you in the warm up. So I'm watching that team and then by time, you know, it's time to uh, get ready to play. I'm ready. That's pretty much the whole thing with it. Yeah, uh, like yesterday, we Ray, we worked out yesterday for like 40 minutes with one of his teammates. And some of it was maintenance work, but a little bit was like uncomfortable, which on game day, I think it's all about comfortable and confident, right? It's not about trying a new food for lunch the day of a game. Like that's just like a big no-no. Um, and I, you know, I hope that some people from this, whether it's a pro that's listening, a high school player or a college player that, you know, if you don't have a routine, you need one, just like shooting a free throw. Like you got to have some sort of thing that stimulates your mind regards to, okay, like I know what I'm preparing myself for. Um, the practice thing, like I was at practice today for Ray and his team. He's got a young team. So, um, him being a staple and understand that, like, leading by example. I mean, obviously, you should always, doesn't matter if you have vets or not, but when you have a young team, young players will follow, whether it be good or bad. So, like, being a good influence is beneficial for him, but also 
super beneficial for him later on. It's early in the year. It's only uh, November. What is today? 13th? Yeah, 13th. 13th. So and we've got another four and a half months. And um, to give a little background, like the Belgian league here, uh, I have several other players that have been in this league and then propelled themselves up to a higher level league. Um, and in Europe, it's you have domestic and European. So domestically would be like your team plays in the Belgian league or you're an Italian team, you play in the Italian league or you're a Turkish team, you play in the Turkish league. Whereas European, whereas you have Euro League, Euro Cup, Champions League, FIBA Cup, those are all European, meaning those are each one of those leagues have teams from all over the world playing in an individual league, Euro League being the highest. So right now, Ray plays for a domestic Belgian league team, but his aspiration next year, which I think it's very makeable, he's going to be playing domestic and that same team he will play in European. And the higher level we know translates to bigger the check, bigger the platform, bigger the opportunity regards to being a pro. Um, I just want to end with this. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the pros and the cons regards to overseas, things you like, things you don't like? Uh, maybe it's – I mean, for me, I remember I, I took a job in Beijing, a player development job, and the housing situation was great. The people I was working for really didn't like, but I didn't have running water my first two days there. So, like, can you talk about some things maybe you've encountered that you like? Like, his setup here is is legit. I mean, it's even though it's a mid-level with a high potential rate league, I mean, Ray's got his own spot. He's got a separate bedroom, got his own car. And a big deal for me is he's got a grocery store downstairs or one, a two-minute walk. He's got a convenience spot place after because grocery stores close a little bit closer i'm looking through the window at the gas station that's littered i could throw a rock and hit it coffee shop, coffee shop. like he's in a very nice area which is not always the case like uh i've there's some crazy stories regards to some stuff even high level uh teams that like yeah you might be getting a nice check but you live in a cardboard box so maybe there's good bad things that you do like and that you don't like the professional game it reminds me a lot of the junior college game. You know, the the housing in junior college, you can have some pretty good housing. You can have some pretty bad housing. You can have some housing that's okay, you know. But the living, the style of with the practices, the intense, like you get a Serbian Croatian coach. <laughs> you know, is you you practicing twice a day, not for two hours each, but maybe three, four hours each, twice a day. You know, you get paid in Europe. For the practice. You don't get paid for... I mean, you get paid for the game, you know? But usually you get a win bonus. You get paid for the game, but you really make your money for practices. Practices is, you know, that's the job. Nobody's paying you X amount of dollars to be a professional basketball player to show up once a week for two hours mm -hmm. in a basketball game. And you don't even play the whole two hours, so you play 20 minutes. Nobody's paying you, however, you know, thousands of dollars for 20 minutes. Right. You know, so... You have to. You, I know guys that get sent home for not performing in practice. But if it, you know, I learned at an early age how important practice was to Pat Smith and Jay Blossom. You know, that's why I compare it to my junior college because practice was a game. Practice was serious. So, you know, um, you you can get caught. You know, you can get caught as a rookie. It's tough adjusting to the European lifestyle because it's totally different. It's not what you. It's not what you're accustomed to. It's not, it's not, you know, you come from this D1. You don't see a lot of high major, you know, guys that was highly recruited, top 100 in Europe because they don't last. They're used to being babied and sheltered and told they're the best all their life. And Europe, it's like, like I was telling my boy that was here from that, I uh, know from college that you met, Um, I compare the European basketball as you're my player on 2K. <laughs> you think about, I think about my first year, bro, I was living above the gym in a dorm room, essentially. It was a, it was a, um, I had one room. I had my, I had, I didn't have an oven. I didn't have a microwave. I had like a two-eye stove, electric stove, just two eyes. Um, had a mini fridge for my fridge. I didn't have a washer. I didn't have a dryer. I had to go down the hall to wash my, my clothes, but I didn't have a dryer. So that alone was a, you know, I'm, what was I, 21, 22? I've never witnessed not having a washer or a dryer. 
everywhere in America. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter where you live, you know, you have a washer and dryer, you have a cleaners. There wasn't even no cleaners. You know, they they hand washed their clothes and they hung them up outside. <laughs> so, you know, I learned pretty quick. Or they hung them up. You know, they had the little things on a wall that get hot that dries your clothes. You just hang up each sock and shirt on that. So I'm hand washing clothes. Wi-Fi doesn't work unless I'm in the gym. I don't know nothing about not having no Wi-Fi. I don't have no TV. If I want to watch something, it's on my laptop. Don't nobody speak English except the younger people. Nobody can translate anything. I'm walking around with Google Translate the whole time in Czech Republic. Eastern Europe is totally different than Western Europe. So my experience, Eastern Europe as a rookie and second year out was totally different. Now, as my third and fourth year as I'm in Germany and now my fourth year in Belgium. But my first two years, I was in Eastern Europe, which is, the you know, Western Europe is more Americanized. Eastern Europe, yo, you, you don't nobody like you, first off. Don't, none of those people really like you. There, I remember one time we were, went to a bar and a guy chased me and my teammate around the club with a bottle. Don't nobody like you there. You know, they don't really like you. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with that. Nobody speaks English. If I want to talk to anybody, it's on Google Translate. If... I want anything, you know. It was just the food, the groceries. I remember the first time I went to the grocery store. So the grocery store, you know, in America, everything has the steroids and preservatives. So you can grab stuff for, what, a week or two and throw it in the fridge. I did that my first time. My mini fridge grabbed some stuff I think I was going to last for a week, week and a half, seven, ten days. I come back after the third day. It's rotten. I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong with the food out here? It already tastes a little different because it don't have. I'm like, man, this food is nasty. What is this? And boy, I'm learning. I'm like, actually, the food, the food at home, is bad for you. It's no good. This is the good stuff you said is nasty. So I got accustomed to eating the good food, you know. And then, um, basketball wise, to get back into that, it was, it's a business. <laughs> you learn that really quick, you know. In college, you could not perform for a month and be okay. Right. You'll perform for a month over here. We're going to see you later. In college, you could show up late, and you're going to have a coach at your class. Like, you're coming straight here after class. Or you're going to have a GA. You know, you're going to have somebody to help monitor you. You know, professional level, you're on your own. You're an adult. You're playing with other people. This is how they feed the families. So... Not only are you making that adjustment, you know, as a as a basketball player, I didn't I never had those problems, but I watch people have those problems, you know, with, with my previous coaches, I, they always taught me these things. But you watch other people that don't really understand the concepts of it. So then um you you dealing with that aspect and then when you step on the court and you playing another team, yo, they're not playing for fun. This isn't, you know, this isn't to make a tournament and say I made the NCAA tournament. Uh, you don't get nothing for that. You maybe you get what a ribbon, you know. This ain't for ribbons, you know. This ain't for banners in the gym. This is for blood. This is, you know, this is this is your life, you know. So you start playing with people that got. You start playing against twenty-eight year olds. You know, you're not playing against as a senior. You know, you're twenty-two. You're the oldest senior. On the team, you were one of the oldest in the conference. Now you go, you were the youngest, and now as a freshman, you playing with people that's like not gonna play. How many kids you think play basketball after college? Oh, you know. So you, if you do the percentages from high school to college, from college to professional, yeah, you know. So you're not playing with eight guys that's never gonna touch a basketball again, you know. You, I mean, you go from college where you play with eight guys that's not going to touch a basketball game, maybe two or three you play pro. If you're lucky, usually it's one. So then we, um, you know, you, you, I step on the court and I'm playing against guys that this is how they feed their families. You know, these guys are 28, some 32, 24, 25 with kids. Yo, they not playing, you know, they're going to put you on your back. You know, they're – they're going to play extremely hard. Nobody's like, ah, oh, let's coach through this. Yo, they trying to take everything you have. It's a war. For, you know, it's in college, it's like, oh, it's a rival. But this ain't, you know, this isn't a rivalry. This isn't, you know, this is, yo, I need to kick your ass on this court. Sorry for the language. Or else I can't feed my family. You know, 
or else we're not going to eat. So that's, you know, that's the biggest difference. Yeah, I, I was just writing some notes down in regards to, uh, I always say that, like, collegiately, like, you don't get your scholarship cut in the middle of the year unless they just kick you off. Yeah. They're not like, hey, you shot 22% for the last six weeks, you're out. Yeah. Like, it's just not the case, right? But that kind of gives you some intel in regards to, like, you can hear it in Ray's voice. Like, Ray is, isn't married and doesn't have any kids, but he gets it because now he's been around other people about their livelihood. Um, and to kind of piggyback off of that to the coaches, the skills trainers, we're talking basketball, football, whatever, you have to take your job just as seriously. Yeah. Like, like, for example, like we got on the court today for 40, 45 minutes. I laid down last night. I'm kind of still getting acclimated uh, to the time. I laid down at like 2. I had to be up at like 8 because I went and worked out. Uh, he took me to the weight room. I lay down like, okay, what are we going to do when we come in there? Like, I'm all right. It might only be 40 minutes, and it's by it's probably about 75% because he just got out of practice. We got to manage the workload. But I got to take my craft seriously, too, because this 40 minutes needs to propel him to maybe get one more bucket, one more rebound. And that can propel you into being all league. That can get you your next job. That can lead to this, to lead to that. Um, and there are more people that would want to be a professional basketball player than there are that are professional basketball players. Yeah. Even though they're not good yes. enough, <laughs> even though they're not good enough there. And that's the same way for coaches too. You know, I love when people are like, Oh my coach, this, you know, if you would love your coach's job, your coach wants to win, dude. Yeah. He, now you guys might not have the same point of view, but yeah. he wants to win. He, it might be a different thinking or the wrong thinking, but in his mind, he's doing whatever he thinks is right to win. Yeah. Um, so just, like, understand that concept or whatever. But, um, Ray, I appreciate you coming on, man. I yeah. think you gave us some insight regards to um, maybe a kid that goes JUCO, uh, goes to the MAC, kind of sees the ins and outs, and all that coaching that you got all came full circle to you now. Hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll have another podcast when you're 34 and I'm old as the hills, like 37, 38, and we'll probably maybe have a – couple little kids in the same room and you played 10 years 12 years pro and you know i'm just a whatever i am you know a mediocre skills guy or whatnot but uh i appreciate you coming on uh thanks for having me man it was great talking to you and i really appreciate it if you'll subscribe like comment and just present me some feedback uh regards to the value of the podcast um but like i said uh in the last podcast i didn't i'm in europe now for the next couple weeks so these next few episodes i'll have professional uh players that i've been fortunate to work with that come on and come and give you guys some insight to regards to the overseas game but appreciate it thanks Thanks.